This is Beyond the Pass, conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality, and what makes us get out of bed each day. Beyond the Pass is brought to you by Kelly's Cause, and the conversational digressions are brought to you by me, your host, Rachel Kerlapsley. If you can take a minute to like, rate, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. Without listeners like yourselves, we couldn't keep having these brilliant conversations. Enjoy the episode and keep taking care of each other. Welcome back to Beyond the Pass. Today we're sitting down with Hebe Richardson. Prior to graduating King's as a registered nutritionist, Hebe was a restaurant human through and through, working in both back and front of house roles. Their industry experience has deeply informed their practice as a nutritionist, and they continue to work in different corners of the industry, focusing on the why of our relationship to food and health. Welcome, Hebe. Hi, thanks for having me, and thank you for that lovely introduction as well. Oh, thank you for making the time to sit down. Um, I just want to start off by asking, how did you get started in hospitality? Um, so honestly, I first started in hospitality when I was about 15, 16. Um, I really, really wanted at that age to work as a chef and I was quite passionate about that it was going to be my route in life. So I, I took a job in a butcher shop in my local town, um, getting paid three pounds, three pounds 68 an hour at the time, because that was minimum wage for my age. Um, and I was only allowed in the kitchen that for four hours. That was legal to yeah. pay someone three pounds 68. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. I mean, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a good 10 years ago. But um, yeah, and I was only allowed in the kitchen for four hours at a time because of my age. Um, so that meant in a shift, I would make up to like 12, 13 pounds, um, which I often then spent in WH Smith's to buy a stationery for school. So, um, but I really enjoyed it because I was, um, I was doing like the the deli counter. So I would do like pies eccles cakes it was quite a sort of like old school traditional butchers um so yeah i used to make lots of like pastries meat pies um pork pies that kind of thing and and like cakes and stuff and i did really really enjoy it at the time and it was a really good like i guess stepping stone for me into like just realizing that i loved i loved working with food but that was something that continued for me all throughout you know, my time at school, my time at university, just working in various front and back of house roles. I did a couple of events jobs where I was working at festivals where I got to kind of do bar work, barista jobs, um, working in the kitchen and just being in an event doing crazy hours. I think I did I did Glastonbury one year and V Festival and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a sort of windy kind of alongside school sort of thing that I did. But I did actually kind of on the whole really enjoy the things that I was doing, even though, you know, back in the first job, I was doing it for four hours and not getting paid very much money at all. <laughs> but I did like it. Of all those jobs that you sort of strung together in that period of time, do you remember what your favorite one was where you were like, to be honest, I probably could have done that the rest of my life. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, um, I remember just before I left for uni, I was working in, um, there wasn't really a big food scene, I would say, back where I'm from. So I'm from Buckinghamshire in a very like rural part of the country 
and um, I worked in a gastro pub at the time and it was like the best gastro pub in the area and I was working front of house but I just like really loved the interaction I really loved working with so many people I really loved everyone I worked with I loved being around the food and just the chat and everything and there was a part of me that went should I just stay here should I just keep doing this um this could be something I could do you know um and in the end I was like no I, I need to go to university I need to go that's that's the plan you've set for yourself so I think actually that point in my life and I was earning more money thank goodness and getting tips <laughs> it was like I, I could keep doing this and all of those jobs when they involved a lot of human interaction I really liked it I really liked it is that pub still there can we shout it out it's uh, I think it's gone under now it was called the muddy duck yeah it was it, it was called the muddy duck and um I I think it it really struggled during covid as far as I'm yeah. aware and it had to sort of like remodel itself it was a sort of pub that had like a gastro pub and then like a pub side of it as well mm-hmm. so you worked as a, a front of house you worked on both sides of it but it had a slightly different menu and it was very busy and like back in those days when I was like 17 it was it was mad busy it was like the busiest place mm-hmm. I'd ever worked um but yeah no I think it's I think it's gone now R.I.P. Money Duck. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can tell. You can tell that it's like a rural village from that name. Yeah, so. I mean, when you said the name is Money Duck, I was like, aren't they all that? Um, yes. But I never, you know, I feel like as a foreigner, I'm hard pressed to make those jokes. You tell a line, you know. Um, <laughs> what? And I know. You, so after you were working in sort of kitchens, front of house, you're at the pub, and then you move out of those jobs into the classroom to train more formally. What sort of sparked the move to university and particularly to train as a nutritionist? Was that informed sort of by that experience? Mm. I think part of it was I was considering maybe doing food science as a degree as well. And um, I went and looked at like years of unis and loads of courses and had conversations with people about like what kind of careers you could do in food science. And my takeaway was that they were quite a lot of sort of more lab based jobs where you'd be working on like flavorings and that kind of thing which definitely is interesting but I was like I think that's way too much chemistry for me thank you mm. <laughs> um, and at the time so when I was in my uh sort of year 12 year 13 I was really starting to struggle with my health and I didn't really realize this at the time but now reflecting back I'm a really bad migraine sufferer I have chronic migraines and that's what I was suffering with but I didn't know and because chronic migraines can be interlaced with loads of different symptoms like like really long fatigue lack of concentration like feeling a lot of brain fog things like that so I just got sort of labeled as this person that got sick a lot and I was really struggling to get anywhere with going to GPs and things and I was often they were often like oh you're really stressed uh you know take some beta blockers or something and um or sort of just being palmed off and that became really frustrating um so I tried to do my own research and at that time so that must have been 2013 2014 that was the time when there was a real like I would describe it as like a boom of health bloggers wellness bloggers um there was so much on the internet about going gluten-free going vegan cutting out dairy cutting out all of these different things cutting out sugar and all of these really illustrious claims like people who had really complex health conditions had cut out all these different foods and then had felt so much better and at that time in my life I felt honestly quite like desperate to feel better so I 
started to do some of those things I started to like restrict what I was eating and I think it was more of a placebo for me at the time but I did report feeling better um a little bit but not really <laughs> and I think reflecting back on it now I can kind of unpick it but I also just had quite a curious brain and was like I want to know if this is real and if this is true how this works and because I liked food so much and I liked working in hospitality I thought well I'm going to study nutrition then that's what I'm going to do um so that was sort of the direction it was kind of like interlaced with um hey I want to be a chef and that's what I want to do but also I'm really struggling with my health how do I interlace these two things and that's sort of how I ended up doing that really um I think that's so fascinating too that sense of like seeking solution wanting to figure out if this stuff is real or not like is this actually going to help me and if it is helping me or if I do feel better what's the why behind that especially if you've been struggling against the like system of GPs or just like more traditional healthcare and it's been failing you I can't even imagine how attractive that must have been very I mean I did it with my mum as well. My mum has multiple sclerosis. And if you Google like diets for MS, you would get so many things. And at the time, I think both of us were like, oh, you know, what's the harm? Like, let's just give it a go. But for me, I certainly felt the sense of kind of almost desperation, if I'm honest. I was I just, I was 16, 17. I really want to feel better. I'm so sick of getting sick. And, um, you know, my like my attendance was really dropping at school and my grades were really dropping. And I really liked school at that time of my life. I couldn't really understand why I was getting so ill. Um, so, yeah, I think it really did. It, it, it like appealed because you had multiple people going, oh, I'm drinking bone broth and it's making me feel so much better. Or, oh, I'm cutting out all of gluten and it's making me feel better. And it was sort of wrapped up in this kind of glamorous package that I was like, oh, OK sure but I also had this thought in the back of my mind going I don't really understand how this works and I want to understand how this works and why this works so I'm going to go and find out and I later discovered it doesn't work and all the reasons why (laughs) but at the time I was like that's what we're going to do (laughs) you busted your own myth and I also realized quite quickly how restrictive those things are because as I say I was like 16 17 18 Mm. not eating gluten not eating sugar not eating you know cutting out these things like you cut out so many things I couldn't go for like a pizza with my friends I couldn't do that you know these things so I I was like oh this is so this is so restrictive on me Mm -hmm. why would I why am I doing this when this is this is reducing my enjoyment of life Um, so I wanted to know basically. Yeah. I sometimes wonder with illness and chronic pain and stuff, if it's, I mean, I don't know anything about nutrition, so you tell me it's not true. And I'm like, you are correct. Um, but it's like that feeling of so much is out of control and so much about your body is out of your own control that the reason why it feels good when you start to cut things out is because it gives you that sense of control and the restrictiveness gives you some kind of autonomy over your body that has been sort of betraying you for a long time. And I wonder if that sort of plays plays into that I think I think it makes sense I mean these things are these things are really complicated they're really complex and I think yeah in in a sense I can speak from my experience which was I felt out of control I felt like I wasn't getting any solutions nothing made any sense to me and then there was this sort of offer of something which was shiny and glamorous 
and you know could tick all these boxes you know it's the idea of if you do this one thing you will resolve many many ailments which again now I can look back on that with my degree and my career and go well that you know if anything sounds too good to be true it's too good to be true but at the time I was like yeah of course I'm going to try this because I'm getting nowhere with anything else and like you say for me you know I can't speak for other people's experience but for me and you know some of the clients I've worked with in the past having that sense of control Mm -hmm. being able to do something you know that in a sense can can feel better Mm. um, when so many things are outside of your control and you're not getting anywhere with anything else I just want to take a minute because I know that you're a haze-aligned nutritionist, um, and I definitely had to Google what that means. Do you mind just explaining for us and giving some context to what haze-aligned means? Sure. So haze stands for health at every size. So what this means essentially is working from a weight-inclusive way. So you don't use weight loss as an outcome. You look to improve somebody's well-being and to support them regardless of their shape or size, regardless of their body. Um, It's sort of a, I guess, a kind of uh, sort of antidote or kind of opposite to the sort of weight centric focus of many, including like the NHS, for example, healthcare systems and many nutritionists and many people who work in health who work in a weight loss focused, weight centric as its known way. Um, to be hazed is to be weight neutral and to see uh, the person you're working with as a whole person and to support them um, without weight loss as a goal because we know that that is a goal is non-inclusive is discriminatory doesn't work to improve someone's well-being um yeah so for me as a nutritionist it means supporting that person without focusing on losing weight without saying well we need to lose weight as the outcome it's going how can we improve your well-being without that as the outcome it's remarkable like I think we're probably about the same age like you're in your like late 20s early 30s yeah I'm I'm 27 yeah yeah. So you're a little bit younger than me. I'm 33. But can you believe how remarkable it is that you can have a conversation about nutrition with a professional that doesn't include weight loss? Like having been <laughs> conditioned in that 90s culture, like I'm really yeah. like mm. it almost gives me chills to hear you explain that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been the life I've been living for quite some time now. But I sometimes think when I look back on being at uni or when I before I was at uni and the kind of perspective I took into things and it's just the narrative that I was fed and that many of us are fed that like weight loss is what we need to be achieving weight loss is the healthiest thing to do and it kind of I think from my experience sort of blinded me to anything else it's like well this is what we need this is what we need to do and then even when I was at uni I was kind of I was sort of like, this doesn't really make sense because even in that context, you learn things like 90 to 90% of diets fail. You learn things about how it's so difficult for a human to lose weight and to keep it off for so many reasons. And I was sort of like, something is not adding up here. And there was just a part of me that also felt like it was deeply, deeply non-inclusive. Like it was deeply non-inclusive, you know, like growing up. I mean, I was sort of, yeah, like 90s, 2000s where that focus was so much on being thin, being small, and that being the sort of like elixir of everything, the thing that we should all be focusing on. And and me in my own life, I'd been like, well, I hate this. This doesn't make any sense. And when I became a professional in nutrition, I was like, fundamentally, this is not something that I want to be doing. 
I don't believe this. And as soon as I started to question it and to read more into haze, to read more into intuitive eating, to read more into like weight centric versus weight inclusive practices, I was like, this does not make any sense for me. And this is not how I want to practice as a nutritionist. Mm. I think it also just really bastardizes the joy of like food and cooking and any approach to health where like joy and happiness is not considered. Like, I don't, and I know that maybe it's narrow in the sense of like, there are certain things that like, just don't have joy and happiness in them in terms of our health and our Mm. health outcomes. But food and nutrition is a place where there is so much joy. Like, yeah, and there is so much magic and excitement and sharing and community. And there's so many of these things. And so if I see anyone, and I've seen so many people, and maybe it's because of our age and sort of that what we were conditioned in, but they just strip all of the joy out of their relationship to it. And that to me is such a shame. And I think that that's really driven by a weight loss centric perspective. So like one of the only uh, TikTok videos I've ever posted, um, it was about, there was a video that Gwyneth Paltrow did last year. She was like, I eat like a poor Victorian child. And we're all like, but you're rich. Yeah. (laughs) She basically said, I think the question was, what is your sort of wellness routine? now and the way she described it it was it was heavily restrictive for one thing it was full of loads of pseudoscience she was talking about bone broth and um I I was like I'm just going to react to this in a really honest way and one of my main reactions reactions was like not only is this incredibly restrictive it also sounds there's like no there's no joy in this there is absolutely no joy in this I mean obviously I don't know I don't live inside her brain maybe for her that is joyful but that was my my human response was this is so unjoyful. And I think for me, being someone who did find joy in cooking and did find joy in food, and that was sort of the headspace I went into my degree in, um, doing that degree, to me, there felt like there was this big contrast between this is what we're doing. We're learning about food and we're learning about nutrition. But there didn't seem to me there was like, this isn't very joyful. This feels like a little bit distanced from actually the reality of eating the reality of going to a restaurant of sharing food and it's something that I try and talk about with my clients and also talk about if you know in articles that I write and stuff is that there is also that's a big part of our relationship to food is joy is joy is is sharing food with other people it's cooking food for other people it's our emotional relationship to food and that was really not included at all in my degree like Mm. in my training as a nutritionist there was very little questions about our relationship to food, the why, the the joy, the happiness that exists, the sadness, the anger that's around it. There's there's none of that. And to me, that felt like a big contrast and just not not aligned with my existence as a some as someone that liked food. And not, you know, if I walked from my because I went to uni in London, if I walked out of that room down the street into a restaurant, to me, I'm like, there's a huge disparity here in that this there's no joy is what I'm trying to say yeah and that's something that I felt in my bones Mm. how do you think your work as a chef prior to your degree sort of came into your actual career as a nutritionist I think I think it's quite a hard um it's a hard question to answer really because I think when I was doing my degree because I did feel like there wasn't that sort of lining up of like the why and stuff I didn't really I didn't feel like I had a lot of space for that experience, that sort of, you know, person that I am and, and the relationship that I had with food and with cooking and, and with sort of like restaurant culture and hospitality, it didn't really feel like there was much space for that. 
Um, but I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. So when I came out of university, my first kind of nutrition job was in a catering company as a nutritionist. I did want to keep some of that joy and some of that creativity. And so some of that role involved a lot of collaboration with the development chefs, like collaborating on new um, on new projects, on new concepts and things like that. And that's something that I really, really enjoyed. Like that's a really big part of food is creativity is, you know, talking with someone and being like, oh yes, and then we could do this and then we could do this and da 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 da. But sometimes there feels like there isn't a lot of space with that from my perspective within the nutrition profession because I think coming into any of those rooms and being like this is me I'm the nutritionist I felt an expectation that I would um, I would talk about food in a specific way or I would give an input into something in a specific way for me as well in that time period so that was 2019 when I started working in that job there was still a lot of conversation about wellness culture there was still this real focus on juices and smoothies and and turmeric and coconut oil and all those kind of things and those trends I saw magnified sort of like reflected even in in the kitchen and there was this expectation of me being like well you're the nutritionist you tell us how to put turmeric into these things you tell us how to put coconut oil in these things so I spent a great deal of my time being like for one thing this is this isn't this isn't really a thing (laughs) for one thing superfoods don't mean anything scientifically it's just a trend for another thing, that's such a limited perspective on health and well-being. For me to say, okay, if I add coconut oil to every single dish that we serve in this uh, restaurant, that's going to make anybody healthier. That's just such a limited perspective on health because health is, the way I like to describe it is health is a jigsaw piece with many puzzles and nutrition is just one piece of that puzzle. Um, and that frustrated me a great deal, trying to debunk so many of these myths became really difficult and I think it it made it kind of harder to keep that connection between this is me I I love food I love cooking I like the creativity and the emotion and the of food and magnify that in my role as a nutritionist but I think it did mm-hmm. it did play a perspective there as well it was always sort of in the back of my mind I think a lot about how sort of hyper fixation on wellness or wellness trends especially around food um has changed our relationship to food and to eating out in general. And particularly when you start to see like certain things on menus everywhere. Like, do you remember that very weird time where like you could always get a burger wrapped in lettuce instead of a bun? I feel like perhaps that moment has passed. And now because I'm so like checked out of any kind of well-being conversation, I have no idea what's going on. But like, I think it's interesting how it comes from these sort of like myth places and then it trickles down like nutritionists or I don't know who like purports the myth and then it ends up in sort of more industrial kitchens and then it sort of ends up in kitchens in our communities at our pubs at our favorite spots whatever and I'm really interested on how you think the sort of misinformation around well-being sort of trickles down into the hospitality culture yeah see I that's something I find incredibly interesting and I think from my perspective when I was a nutritionist in a catering company specifically, I felt like I spent a lot of time myth busting because in that particular environment, you have people who say, okay, so we, we've seen that this is trendy, this is popular. Like when I was doing that job, gut health was really like exploding. So everyone was talking about kefir and kimchi and things like that. And then it would come to me and it would be like, okay, Hebe, so it's, it's 
how are we going to get these things into menus? Then I had to be like, okay, so the science on this is actually quite new and there's not that much for us to go on right now. Also, so many of these things are really expensive. Quite a lot of these things sometimes don't taste that nice. So you want me to add something into a menu which has limited evidence behind it. I mean, especially at that time Mm -hmm. into all of these dishes to improve people's well-being and to me I'm like something's not adding up here it's not it's not making sense in my brain and it it was often just a great deal of frustration for me but I know that in quite a lot of quite a lot of like maybe different restaurant spaces or hospitality spaces they might not have a nutritionist or they might not have the thing with uh, a nutrition for example that industry is anyone can call themselves a nutritionist so you see a lot of unregistered, unregulated nutritionists or people that might have, um, you know, short short courses in nutrition um, out there being like, I'm a nutritionist, da, 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 listen to me. So I, first of all, had to explain in that role that I am a registered nutritionist. I'm registered with the Association for Nutrition. That means I'm bound by ethical principles. That means I support evidence-based nutrition. And this particular thing that you're telling me doesn't have enough evidence behind it for me to even talk about it let alone add it into every menu let alone have a conversation about how actually that's not really going to benefit anyone's well-being because I don't want to eat every dish with kimchi I just don't I don't want to eat every dish with coconut oil or turmeric or whatever it might be but it's something that I keep thinking about because as you say you'll walk into a like as you say your your local restaurant and you'll see these things you'll see burgers wrapped in lettuce you'll see quinoa in every dish you'll see stuff like that and I think this is so interesting how something which starts off as maybe a myth something that might be have a bit of evidence to it but not a lot gets trickled down and then you walk into a restaurant space and then suddenly that restaurant safe that restaurant space becomes unsafe because it's not it's not really a safe space. You're suddenly hit in the face by wellness culture, by diet culture. You're hit in the face by words like good, cheap, guilty on the menu, which gives me such an ick when I see things described as like... Such an ick. It's like dirty burgers or guilty burgers or like all of those kind of words. I'm like, please no, please no. Um, So for me, I I get really angry about it actually because it, it makes those spaces I feel like unsafe. They don't become a space about the joy of food. They become a space that's been infected by diet culture. Mm. Do you see like the work you do now with folks that are in hospitality or within the hospitality industry? I'm wondering how much this perspective and this inclination and sort of that valuing of food is like good or bad and sort of like harboring, holding onto these myths and like exploding them outwards. Do you feel like that's symptomatic of the individuals within the industry? Or do you think that like someone in an office was like, this is how we sell burgers. Like, it's cute. People will love it. We'll trend. Like, do you know what I mean? Because I feel like most of the people I know who work in the industry are one, very, very hungry. And so you just sort of eat whatever. Like, I think I was the least obsessed I've ever been in terms of like food value. I mean, like, is this good or healthy or whatever? But I was actually in service because I was just like, I'm just extremely hungry and I'm just going to eat three pittas and then continue to run around. You know, like you don't have time for it. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, how much of that do you see coming from actual hospitality professionals and chefs and how much you think is like a marketing decision? Yeah, I think it's a really, really difficult one because I completely understand if you're in, you know, you're running a small restaurant or, you know, whatever size 
and these things are popular these things are trendy these things then sell so I, I totally understand that it's a really difficult one to say, OK, I'm going to stand by my ethics and principles here, which say that I don't want to use good and bad. I don't want to use these trends. I don't want to use these things. You know, that becomes really difficult when if you walk onto the high street and every single like Leon Pret, wherever Joe and the Juice is selling the same thing. It becomes really difficult. And that was a pressure that kind of I constantly came up against whenever I've been sort of in a role that is a nutritionist in a hospitality in a business because they're trendy so they sell so then you are kind of at a loggerhead with marketing um and as you say I also see that kind of that contrast between that pressure to do all of those things and then actually talking to people who do work front of house back of house who don't have a lot of time to eat who don't get enough breaks you know who as you say constantly running around quite hungry being put under pressure to produce all of those meals that are like here's a lettuce wrapped in and here's a burger wrapped in a lettuce or <laughs> you know here is a turmeric matcha or whatever and then you and your reality is I'm really hungry I'm really tired I haven't got enough you know I've not got enough energy to keep going with the rest of my shift I've been cooking for everybody for hours when it comes to cooking for myself I've just not got the time mm-hmm. you know I there's just such a contrast in those things but as I say, I do I do understand how those things become difficult when you are trying to sell a menu. But for me, I'm like, maybe I get to do it because I'm the nutritionist and this is what this is me. This is my view. And I can say, no, that's that's not true or that's not real or that's just a you know, that's just a trend that doesn't mean anything. But I think it becomes hard because you do. There's the pressure of every other, you know every other business on your street is doing the same thing and that's what people want at the time but it feels as I say I think for me words come up like infected like the wellness culture is infected into these spaces and that it's quite upsetting really. In your sort of personal and professional experience I suppose what do you think are the biggest hurdles that folks in the industry face in nourishing themselves? I think it's a really difficult one because there's so many things that come up in that question, like not having enough time, like being run off your feet, you know, not having the space or the time or the capacity to cook for yourself, let alone eat. You know, I think that's a really difficult thing. And I always I always came across that when I've worked sort of hand in hand with a chef team is, you know, chefs asking me questions about nutrition and about food, but also talking to me about how they hadn't eaten for like eight hours or something and I'm kind of thinking you like those sort of fundamental things like eating enough and eating regularly are kind of inaccessible when you're working it it seems it seems sort of illogical to say but when you're working in food Mm. those things become quite inaccessible you know and I'm Mm. sure that's the same in kind of other industries but I think the illogicality of it is because you're surrounded by food all the time Mm-hmm. you know you're working mm-hmm. in an industry in amongst food maybe you yourself you love food maybe you yourself you know enjoy you know it's your profession it's your career but the ability and the accessibility to eat enough and to eat regularly just isn't there what are sort of small things and maybe nothing will come to mind which is part of the problem but what are sort of small things that busy kitchens can do to take better care of their teams and to sort of uh, prioritize nourishment for lack of a better expression I suppose maybe the first thing is to prioritize nourishment is to make it a priority I think that 
being given the space and the time to actually sit down and eat is an important one and not one that everyone gets so you know it might seem kind of like basic or quite fundamental but actually prioritizing that there is that space to be able to do that I would also say that something I would love to see is less focus on diet culture and wellness culture in those spaces you know it's it doesn't help anyone it's harmful for everyone and I think if you come into a space like that and you're working with food and you yourself struggle with your relationship to food and then you're confronted with all these kind of moralities around it the sort of good and bad language this kind of oh I'm being good today or you know I'm not uh, you know the kind of glorification of skipping meals which seems to happen in so many industries this idea of like oh I've you know I've forgotten to eat lunch and the way that that's congratulated you know for me I'd like to see an end to that kind of thing I mean I don't think I myself am going to end it but you know <laughs> it's something that I would like to see an end of because I would love to see just the championing of being able to eat, to eat regularly, to eat in a kind of safe way without that influence. I mean, that would be great. Whether or not that could happen, I don't know, but that would be great. I wonder if you could speak on the correlation that you see between the food we eat and our mental health and sort of how nutrition plays a role in us taking care of ourselves, especially in fucking January blues time where like every, like all of us are just like hiding under our beds. January blues time. Am I okay? <laughs> I was going to say I'm. I'm not sure what that means. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I get you. That's also a marketing term, isn't it? January blues um, or Blue Monday. That's a thing that they use. But um, you know, it's an interesting one because generally I kind of hate that question. I get that question a lot because because of my sort of career journey and experience has been you know, a nutritionist in the food industry, but then a nutritionist in a clinical space. And my role in, in a clinical space is to, I work with people who have difficult relationships with food, difficult relationships with their body. And also I'm um, a trainee counselor and psychotherapist as well. So I'm also a health at every size aligned nutritionist. So I think my kind of perspective and my, I guess, journey as a nutritionist has evolved across my career. So my answer to that question has probably changed along with that I think if you'd asked me that question probably five years ago when I was a fresh graduate I would have given you a list of perhaps foods or food groups that might have been a good idea or sort of evidence suggests they're useful for our mental health or for our mood and I think there's still a place and a use for that to have maybe that conversation but I think for so many people eating in a way that isn't sort of influenced by diet culture by this sort of culture of restriction this culture of wellness which to me is just another word for diet culture at this time is so inaccessible for so many people and having a space to be allowed to feel joy or to feel happiness or to feel even safe around food is also really inaccessible as well mm. you know most of my client base over the last three years have been people who struggle to find joy around food and may never have joy around food they might just end up feeling kind of okay about food at sometimes and that that is a place that is the, the okay safe place for them I think being able to feel joy around food is inaccessible for a lot of people um and so I think when it comes to the food we eat and our mental health our relationship to food plays such a huge role in that you know being able to get to a place where we can eat enough and eat regularly you know eat meals and eat snacks and that be allowed and a safe thing to do for us 
you know, to not be influenced or, you know, experience, for example, weight stigma when you do that, to not be judged for doing that, to be allowed to eat without someone going, oh, you're being a bit bad today or, oh, look at you, you've you've had this meal and then you've had that, you know, that's that's a language and a culture that persists in in, a, in friendship groups, in peer groups, in office culture, you know, in restaurant culture, it, it it's a thing that happens. Um, so I think that for me, when I start to think about food and our mental health, I think about being allowed to eat, being allowed to eat enough, to eat regularly, to eat what you want in a safe way, um, to be allowed to feel joy around food, to allow to, I guess, safely express your relationship to food, whatever that might look like, it, you know, that's something that I think about when that question gets asked of me less so the you know list of things around like certain foods and certain nutrients but I recognize that that's not always the answer that people want that's the answer I'm giving so there you go if you could make like one change to hospitality across the board either you know the way kitchens think about food the way menus are written the way customers experience going into restaurants something to do with staff, literally whatever, if you could make one change that would happen in every hospitality business, what would that one change be? See, I'm going to struggle to list just one thing. So <laughs> if you let me, I might list a few things. You because go I think there's a Okay, thank you. I think I would love to see restaurants, you know, people who work in kind of food-based roles, be able to, you know, maybe employ someone like myself, who's a registered nutritionist, who can debunk claims mm. around nutrition who can say when someone says oh I've seen that we should all be eating this or eat that can say no actually that's not true I would love there to be that sort of almost like protective ring around kind of restaurant culture and hospitality culture where we go actually those things are bs those things are not real I would love to see more desensitization away from that I would love to see diet culture not in restaurant culture I would love that. I would love to be able to walk into a restaurant and not w open a menu and see words like, uh, I've, I've seen things like skinny juices and words oh, like that. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? mean? There's a restaurant in Islington that is called the Skinny Kitchen. Oh, yes, there is. There is. I'm like, there is. I'm like, is mm. it 2004? Like, what are we doing? Mm. Mm. Like, I think there's one, um, there's one well I mean use of the word detox for one mm. I think there is a there is a particular business that has that in their title um and many many you know detoxing when people add it to food it means nothing our body does all the detoxing we need because we possess organs that detox it's it's a myth but yet it gets added around food so much so I would love to see less of diet culture and less of those nonsensical claims I mean as a nutrition professional I've also been the person who works, you know, quite a lot of a job of a nutritionist is quite technical because we do things like we sort of are the person who talks about nutrition and health claims. Um, I see a lot of a mis many, many misuses of nutrition and health claims in hospitality all the time. And I understand that that can be quite a complex area to navigate, but I would love to see less of that. <laughs> like and when I if you're not sure as a listener what they are a nutrition and health claim so a nutrition claim would be when you pick up a packet of something and it says for example that it's um it's high in fiber so to be high in fiber it has to the product has to contain a specific amount of fiber whereas a health claim would be if you pick up something and it says something like good for your gut or something like that and those claims can only be made when certain proportions of certain nutrients are in things but they get misused all the time all the time um 
and lots of people who are like let's say uh scientists in the public eye misuse those all the time as well and I get that that's confusing um and the other thing I would love to see but again I'm not going to change this myself because I don't work in government is I would love to see us get rid of calories on menus it's something that I absolutely hate I I can't believe that it's a thing what an expensive mistake like what an extremely (laughs) expensive mistake extremely expensive mistake I mean it's I was working in hospitality when that was a discussion. And I remember thinking like, even just in my job at that time, how much work that would take me and the people who worked in to even do, you know, from a technical perspective, calculate the calories on menus. It's a job and a half. It is a job and a half. And doing that with restaurants with a constantly changing menu, constantly changing suppliers, constantly changing ingredients, it kills creativity for one thing. I mean, I could I could really I could talk about it all day long because it really irritates me. But also to even go into a restaurant space, open a menu and see calories next to something on a menu. I mean, again, that's another example of those spaces not being safe. You know, if you walk into a menu and you have a restrictive eating disorder, you have a disordered relationship with food, you have any kind of difficulty with a relationship with food and you're going into a restaurant and you see that there. I mean, it makes the experience of eating such a difficult one, such a difficult one. And yeah, I have so many things I could say about this. So hence why I said, I don't think I could answer. I don't think I could say just one, but. But I absolutely, I think everything that you're describing, it's like all of these things really suck the joy and the delight and the fun out of eating, out of food, out of restaurants. And like, that does not a happy person make. Not even happy, not even happy. Like just healthy. Like it's not, I think joy, and correct me if I've summarized all wrong, but I think that joy is like an integral part of having a healthy relationship to food. Like playfulness and fun. Like that. that's part of the puzzle. Like when you yeah. say that it's like all that puzzle and that you know, like nutrition is one part of that puzzle, I feel like joy has to be another piece in there. And so many of these things, like not only do they trigger people and create really unsafe realities for so many people that might be having a difficult time in that space, but it also just like, it's like fucking no fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is no fun. I mean, as I say, I think that joy and playfulness, they, they're a kind of wonderful part of a relationship with food but they are quite inaccessible for a lot of people mm, and that makes mm. sense because we do we do exist in a society that that is a a diet culture based society a heavily restrictive society you know weight stigma weight discrimination they are real and very pervasive things so for a lot of people the being able to experience joy playfulness you know enjoyment happiness around food is is inaccessible it's scary it's not possible for people and that you know at at the core of things that's heartbreaking that is heartbreaking I would love for it to be you know not just a piece of that puzzle but like a firm rooted piece of that puzzle but I think for a lot of people it's 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 inaccessible and so being able to get to a place where food doesn't hold any moral value where food can exist as quote-unquote just food that might be the place to exist that might be the place where we land but even that you know for some people food can never just be food food is tied to reward food is but tied to guilt and shame food is tied to so many things food is tied to restriction it it can never exist in that way so I think 
although I would love for that to be a reality for all of us, I'd recognize that it can't be. And I think restaurant restaurant spaces, hospitality spaces, they have a responsibility in that as well. You know, if you work in any of those spaces, if you work in nutrition or well-being in any of those spaces, I think that you have a responsibility to understand that a proportion of your customer base are people who do have a restrictive relationship to food, who we do exist in diet culture. And if you're adding to that by doing things like putting calories on menus, I recognize that, you know, organizations have to do that. But but by using language like skinny or detox or even the word healthy to an extent, then you're adding to that unsafety and you're, you're restricting the ability for people to find joy around food. So, you know, I understand that it's, there's a lot of factors involved, you know, and as a nutritionist, it, it's quite inaccessible for a lot of nutritionists to work in jobs that are weight neutral jobs. Because if you look up a job for a nutritionist, so many of them are are weight loss jobs, diabetes prevention jobs, they are jobs that exist and you do have a pressure as a nutritionist to, you know, produce things and do things. But I think for myself, you know, I I want to spend more time in the hospitality industry, but try and carve a bit more of a space for weight neutral, you know, the weight neutral existence of nutrition in those spaces. But I recognize that that is in itself is difficult. I mean it's been difficult for me. Um so I can, you know, I, I know from speaking to other nutritionists that it's difficult for them too, because there's expectations set on you. So, you know. Yeah. My next question is sort of related to that, because I imagine that as a haze informed nutritionist in a culture that has so much size discrimination, that's, and it's just so rampant and just sort of fat phobia in general, you must be just swimming against a hard tide constantly. It's like, are there sort of people or places or things that you sort of come back to just mm. to like, sort of take care of yourself and your own mental well-being yeah I mean it's a hard one like you say it's um and like I mentioned as well as a nutritionist it can be quite inaccessible you know to work as a nutritionist in a in a weight neutral way because you know the reality of it is you come out of university as a fresh graduate looking for a job in nutrition and the jobs in nutrition that exist for many people are those jobs in you know for places like Weight Watchers, for places like I think there's one called Second Nature and, you know, companies like that that are, um, you know, they're weight loss promoting companies, essentially. You know, there's there's jobs that exist in in weight loss promotion as a nutritionist or in diabetes prevention programs or in, you know, that's that's the jobs that exist. And as a nutritionist, you know, at the end of the day, you need a job, you know, um, so it can be quite it can be quite difficult. And for me, when I was in my first job as a nutritionist, I was the only nutritionist that worked there as well. So I'm the only person, sometimes I'm the only person saying certain things and you feel like you're kind of shouting into a void. <laughs> but as time has gone on, I've sort of, you know, I've, I've been able to kind of root myself a bit more in my own values and belief system. So I would say that kind of being able to share that with other nutritionists who work in the same way, you know, that's, that's something that I would come back to. I mean, I think that generally I for myself looking after myself taking care of myself is a difficult task um not one that I'm very good at it's one that I spend time talking to a lot of my client base about and um you know it's hard for a lot of people and it's something that I share I find it difficult to take care of myself and that it is challenging to when you are as you say swimming against that tide to be like okay this this is the right thing to do this is the thing that I believe in um and so, if, you know, for me, it's those small things like 
being able to I guess get up in the morning and have a shower and brush your teeth and do those things I try and I can't remember who it is as someone on Instagram who talks about sort of self-care as like these very minimal things like being able to just go to bed like go to sleep you know get get some sleep get up have a shower brush your teeth wash your hair you know do those things rather than going I'm going to sit here and I'm going to have a bath and I'm going to light loads of candles I'm going to journal gonna... <laughs> yeah I'm going to invest in my self-care those things are so inexpensive I mean for goodness sake I I also hate having baths I don't find them enjoyable at all so you know it's not for me that's a no I have started to try and do more things that are quite um I've started doing like uh air dry pottery my so I got uh, given a gift set for Christmas last year and um you know just doing things like that that are creative that take my brain away from things I find I really need I just need a space where my brain can just yeah just have a break so that those would be my things but it is a bit of a difficult one I imagine it must be extremely difficult when like the work that you do and what you think about in that professional sense is also literally you're invaded by from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed because you're also a person who like needs to eat and then also you exist in the world where all of this stuff is so overwhelming and so to be able to like turn your brain off from like it's like once you see behind the curtain and then you see it everywhere I can't even imagine how much of that you navigate just on a daily basis it's interesting as a nutritionist as well because I would say so many times if I I'm doing something like going to a a birthday party, going on a date, just having a conversation with someone normally and they go, what do you do? And I say, I'm a nutritionist. So often you get, oh, and then someone will tell you, oh, this is what I had for breakfast. What do you think of it? Or they'll start telling you about some diet that they're on or they'll start telling you about something that they heard of. And I've had to really like work very hard on my own boundaries in that particular sense and be like, no, I'm not interested. Because even to to the extent that I've been in, jobs in the past where I've been I've eaten a biscuit or eaten a donut mm-hmm. or something and someone else in the room has gone oh, I'm surprised you're eating that Hebe and I'm uh, like again I mean yeah I mean if I could I would I would tell them to do one but it's yeah. a professional sense but that happens <laughs> a lot there's yeah. a there's a perception that as a nutritionist I'm going to think and feel about things in a certain way so I often have to say to people that's not what I think and believe I don't appreciate you making comments on what I eat or what other people eat. Um, you know, I'm better at it now. And now I'm just like, ah, whatever, go away. But that is a challenging thing to exist in the world as a nutritionist sometimes when there is so much diet culture around because people do just assume that you're going to be like eating quinoa and lettuce leaves. And I'm like, no, that's that's just not realistic. That's not my life. That's not what I do. That's not what I believe in. So please stop putting that on me. Um, So yeah, as I say, I have to get quite good with my own boundaries. We're going to do some quick fire questions before I let you go. So first thing that comes to mind, where is your favorite place to travel food wise? Oh my gosh. Um, That's really hard. (laughs) I would say I went to, um, I went to Yorkshire recently. It's where my mom's from. And I just really enjoy I just sorry I know what I'm I know you might expect me to be like oh you know Lisbon or whatever but I haven't um I haven't been away for a while but I just really enjoy I just really enjoy like northern food culture if I'm honest I enjoy like pies and gravy and mash and mushy peas and eating like fish and chips on the beach in the north of England 
specifically Yorkshire. Who is your favorite your favorite pop icon? Can I say Little Mix as a collective? Yeah, I think definitely. that really that outs me for, as my age as well. Like, <laughs> growing up watching the X Factor, I just love I love I love pop culture. So, what's the best meal that you've had in the past month? Actually, this week I went to Forza Wine in Peckham, and oh, I had it was small plates, but the best dish that we had was like a burrata that had I love burrata so much and it had like onions and almonds and it was oh like sweet and salty it was delicious and creamy as well lovely what's your favorite building in London I've lived in southeast London for a long time so I would probably say um Peckham levels and who so you can take a little more than one word for this one obviously but we always <laughs> ask like who is your hospitality hero so that can be somebody you've worked with somebody you've just like admired on the internet somebody you know somebody you don't know don't give a shit anyone who's in the industry that you look up and you're like yes that person uh that's easy enough I would say uh Nigella Lawson Nigel Slater and Ruby Tando mm. I would say Nigella Lawson I love her so much I just love the way she talks about food. I love how un- unapologetic she is about food. Nigel Slater, I also love the way he talks about food. I love some of his quotes about food. I love Toast, if you've ever seen the movie, seen I saw the play. And Ruby Tando as well. She's quite a big advocate for calling out diet culture, calling out wellness culture. Love it. Amazing. Um, where can people find you, follow you, and generally delight in your presence? Um, so I am at Hebe Valiant Nutrition on Instagram. So that's H-E-B-E and then Valiant is V-A-L-I-A-N-T Nutrition. I'm very dyslexic. Apologies for that. Um, and then it would be uh, HebeValiantNutrition.com as well. Okay, Fab, we're going to link all of that in the show notes for this episode. And you can also find Hebe featured all month long on Kelly's Cause Socials. And um, we've been collaborating them to talk more about nutritionists and hospitality, the reality of disordered eating and hospitality, and how we can do a better job taking care of ourselves within this industry. Um, Hebe has been amazing. And basically everything they say, I feel like applauding. Um, so Hebe, thank you so, so much for doing this and for sitting down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've had the best time. Beyond the Path is produced by Kelly's Cause. For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com or find us on Instagram at Kelly's Cause.